Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we seek information about Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We were pointing out that the word word in the Bible is much more than just a vague general term about the Scriptures. When the Bible talks about the Bible, it refers to it as the Holy Scriptures or the Holy Writings. But when it speaks about the Word, particularly in the New Testament, it refers in a very focused and pointed way to the gospel of the kingdom of God as Jesus preached it. You can prove this from many different texts, but in Luke 4 verse 43, Jesus said that his whole mission and ministry consisted in the preaching of the gospel about the kingdom of God. That indeed was the reason God had sent him. Now that preaching of the gospel about the kingdom is referred to in the very next verse, in chapter 5, verse 1, as a proclamation of the word. The word of God is the equivalent of the message about the kingdom. Now it's important that we don't lose track of that vital definition of the gospel. It's not just any old gospel, any vague message of good news. It is quite specifically the gospel concerning the kingdom of God. That was the heart of everything that Jesus taught. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 2, we'll find that Jesus was teaching the word, by which, of course, Mark simply means that he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God, as Mark had earlier written in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, the term word in the Bible is more than just a sound coming from somebody's voice, with a certain meaning. A word in the Bible carries power with it. It's the vehicle of divine energy and strength. And so when we're exposed to the words of Jesus, we're being exposed also to something of the life and personality of the speaker. That's why Jesus was able to say in John 6, verse 63, that the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. They are carriers of divine energy. They contain vital energy, and indeed that vital energy which leads to immortality. No wonder then that Jesus could speak of his own words and his gospel message as the essential seed which sparks the life of the newborn babe, the new Christian. You see, Jesus' words are creative words. They have the effect of changing us radically, of creating within us that new life which eventually results in immortality at the resurrection when Jesus returns to this earth. Think again about those remarkable words in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6 and verse 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit which gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit. They are life. There's an emphasis there on the verb are. They actually are life-giving. They actually convey and carry spirit. We should say then that the words are the medium of spirit in the teaching of Jesus Christ. They carry spiritual energy with them and implanted in the human heart. They give energy and life and strength to the individual who hears the words and obeys and accepts them. And so you see, one of the most important lessons we can learn from the Bible is that this term word is something more than just a sound 
with a meaning. A word in the Bible is endowed with a certain power and reality. It carries with it a portion of the life and the personality of the speaker. In the case of Jesus, then, he imparts his own life through his words. That's why the words of Jesus are emphasized at every point in the New Testament. Now, the idea of the inherent power of the word is found in an interesting Old Testament text in Isaiah 55, verse 10. We read there, As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I please. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. And interestingly enough, in verse 10, that word that goes forth from the mouth of God is likened to the furnishing of seed to the sower. Now, the seed and the sower reminds us immediately of the parable of the seed and the sower and the soils in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. In Matthew 13:19, you remember, Jesus spoke of his word, his message about the kingdom, his gospel message, as being the creative seed which must find a place in the heart of the believer in order that he bears fruit. Now, the fruit, of course, is the fruit of the Spirit. And this suggests at once that it's the Word residing in the believer that is able to produce spiritual fruit. The Word, you see, is itself a spiritual force. The Word is an expression of the very mind of God. It's a creative Word, the vehicle of His wonder-working power. Now, the idea that we find running through the Gospels is that a new power has entered the world through Jesus and it communicates itself in his spoken message. And so in the parable of the sower or the seeds, the word is compared to a seed which contains in itself wonderful potency, potentiality, the potential in fact to grant immortality. But the effectiveness of the word depends on man having a right attitude to this word. It must be taken in intelligently, accepted and received with understanding, if it is going to work for good in the life of that person and bear fruit for the kingdom of God. I'm sure you remember those famous words in John 15, verse 7. Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words in you, then you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. And so to accept the words of Jesus is to receive Jesus himself in his life-giving power. One takes the very power and energy of Jesus into oneself by accepting and understanding and receiving his words. How important then it is to grasp and understand that central theme of all the words of Jesus, his gospel about the kingdom of God. Think again of those remarkable words of Jesus in John 6:63. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit, they are life. In other words, the Spirit of God dwelling in Jesus is revealed by the words that come out of his mouth. Those life-giving words carry spirit. They're able to transmit energy for immortality to those who hear and assimilate and obey them. I think we'll be able to understand then why Jesus put such a tremendous emphasis on hearing his word. In Luke 8.8, 8, we read that he used to call out to raise his voice 
with all possible emphasis, and he then introduced the story of the seeds and the effect of his word on different kinds of hearers. Jesus, as he believed himself to be the purveyor of immortality, he was transmitting words, life-giving words, which would result eventually in a human being gaining the destiny for which God had created him. That destiny throughout the New Testament is described as gaining a place as an immortal co-regent in the kingdom of God on the earth when Jesus returns to establish his kingdom. Blessed are the meek, said Jesus, their inheritance is to be the earth, and they're going to rule with him as kings and priests on the earth for a thousand years. Revelation 5 verse 10 and Revelation 20, 1 through 6. Now the gaining of immortality in the future kingdom depends on us making a start now in the Christian life. The Christian life is likened to a race or a process. You have a beginning, a middle, and an end. We begin by conversion, by repentance and baptism, and by the acceptance of the life-giving message of Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom of God. When that life-giving message or seed is planted in your heart, you have the potentiality for immortality in the future kingdom. That's why Peter, in 1 Peter 1, verses 23, 24, and 25, says that Christians have been born again by the incorruptible seed, namely the word of the gospel which was preached to you. That indestructible seed, that imperishable seed, is found in the message of Jesus about the kingdom of God. The seed reappears in Matthew 13, verse 19, and Luke 8, 12, as the essential life-giving power initiating the Christian life. After that, as Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 2, we must be like newborn babes desiring the milk of the Word. The creative energy contained in the Word is able to build us up and produce a level of maturity, at which point we're able then to bear fruit and to produce other spiritual children. And so everybody who receives the seed of the kingdom from Jesus becomes, so to speak, a seed able to bear fruit as he reproduces himself through the creative message of the kingdom of God. That's the way human beings are prepared for immortality. Everything goes back to that initial reception of the seed message, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Matthew 13:19, Luke 8, verse 12. Now, the fascinating thing about this rebirth process is that each of the apostles in the New Testament gives a description of being born again. In the case of James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says in James 1, verse 18, In the exercise of God's will, God gave us rebirth by the word of truth, the message of the gospel of the kingdom, that is, the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. Just earlier in verse 17, uh, James had spoken of every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. And in that context, James speaks of us being born again. The wisdom of God has descended from heaven, and this gives us the power to be reborn under the influence of what James calls the word of truth, James 1.18. And in verse 21, he goes on to speak of us receiving the word implanted with all humility. And that word that's implanted in us 
is able to save us, to save our souls. And so the salvation process is beautifully described there by James in exactly the same basic terminology as Peter, who speaks also of the Word of God being the agent of our rebirth. In John 3, we all know that Jesus spoke of rebirth and regeneration in terms of a mysterious power of the Spirit that works upon us. Well, the power of the Spirit is expressed as the power of the Word by James and Peter. And in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Paul speaks of salvation as being a washing of regeneration or rebirth and a renewing by the Holy Spirit. In 1 John chapter 3, in verse 9, John said that nobody who is born or begotten of God practices sin because God's seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. Now that seed reminds us immediately of the seed which is the message or the gospel about the kingdom of God, Matthew 13, 19, Luke 8, verses 11 and 12. And so the New Testament presents us with an entirely coherent and consistent story in terms of our need to be born again so that we may inherit the kingdom of God as immortal beings. I've written a book about the issue of the kingdom of God and the gospel as Jesus preached it. I'd be happy to send you a free copy if you'd call us at the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. In that book, we list numbers of verses which show that Jesus was concerned primarily with the transmission of the message of the gospel of the kingdom. Meanwhile, join us again as we continue to investigate and to probe Jesus' favorite and famous topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.